I think in a way it is. It's um, not being afraid to bring out who you really want to be and what you really need to share because we're scared of judgment. You know, in a lot of times we are going to be judged by other people and we take that extremely personal. It's not exactly about us. It's more about that that other person and they're um, projecting their own judgments onto you. But I think a lot of the time it's fear of judgment and it's probably links back to what we were just talking about in that that locks us up and it stops us from being or acting truly how we want to be. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. I've got an incredible guest for you this week, a beautiful soul, Chris Jordan, someone who grew up surrounded by a lot of chaos and uncertainty. And it took him a long time to realize that the roller coaster lifestyle that he'd adopted wasn't the only way to live. He realized at one point, at 27 years of age, he'd had enough of the pain and he turned his life around to become truly alive. It's thanks to this moment, this pivot in his life, that he's gone on to study and do many different mindset, uh, personal development, and certainly mental and emotional growth and development programs. He now works with individuals and couples to create a better understanding within themselves. He believes it's about bringing awareness to their own unique process about what's trying to unfold. Through extensive training in hypnosis and psychotherapy, NLP, and working with clients on many different levels, he helps people to feel free, break through the illusion of being stuck, and get out of their own way. It's all about allowing people to do what they're truly here to do. He's a father of five amazing children and a multiple business owner, and it's through his own process and education he realized very strongly that external circumstances do not have to determine how you feel. It's your relationship with yourself that allows you to get the most out of your life. Everyone deserves to know and experience that feeling. And he believes that's what he's here to do. I know you're going to love this podcast. He's a beautiful soul. He's got a gentle heart, strong, fierce, protective ability to make you feel good about yourself. And he's certainly someone, even though he might sound serious for most of the podcast, I can honestly say he has a brilliant sense of humor and an incredible cheeky spirit. I bring to you and welcome to the show, the amazing Chris Jordan. Please give your feedback and comments on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28. Please share this podcast via Facebook on my Kim Morrison page through Apple or all of the downloadable podcast features. Just look for and Google and search the self-love podcast, or you can find it easily at thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Take care now. Be kind. As you can hear, I am really excited to bring to you a rather phenomenal human being, in my humble opinion. Any person that is the father of five children is extraordinary, in my words, Chris Jordan. And I have to say, it is an absolute delight and honor to share you with the Self Love Podcast audience. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kim. Thank you. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's really good. I'm really excited. I mean, we've got to know each other quite well over the past year or so and with a mutual love of, uh, you know, coaching, mentoring, supporting people, individuals, couples and families through many of life's ups and downs and also to focus on what we do want in life. If the listener was, you know, not hadn't heard of you before or didn't know too much about you, how would you describe Chris Jordan? Okay, well, straight into it. Um, so I'm a life coach and uh, I work in Aldrinella in South Australia. And my focus is on helping people unfold what's happening for them um, through coaching and um, bringing awareness in their life. So um, I'm a father of five children, like you said, and uh, they, they make my life incredible. And, um, yeah, I'm really just uh, loving doing the work at the moment. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. And I know that you're having incredible impact with a lot of people. But if if people were to really understand, okay, before we go into what you do in a job, I'm just curious, did you always plan to have five children? Is that something you and your wife talked about or... (laughs) Is it, was it an accident? <laughs> well, uh, I wouldn't say an accident. Um, it's, it wasn't planned either. So I would say most of my life I've just felt the process and just gone with it. Uh, and sometimes that's been obviously extremely challenging uh, in certain areas. But five kids, that wasn't planned. <laughs> but um, I certainly wouldn't change it. And um yeah, I tend to just follow my intuition in life and, um, you know, that, that was no different. It is it's a cool thing. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that can't have children and there's a lot of people out there that would give anything to be able to have one, let alone five children. Um, what would you say to someone that's really struggling at the thought of, or not the thought, at the actual doing of having children? Do you believe in something greater than, you say you trust your intuition, do you trust your guidance that people are destined to have children or not? What's your thoughts around that? Yeah, look, um, I tend to have a philosophy that if things are meant to happen, they will. And, um, you know, that can sound kind of corny, but I found it to be quite true. And um, you never really know when something that seems like a setback ends up being the greatest thing that happened to you. And it doesn't always make sense at the time, but I think trusting the process is so important and trying to, um, I think really it comes down to understanding your own nature. When you understand your own nature, you can see and watch things playing out in your life and see them with perspective and take them for what they are and take the best things out of that. I agree. And I think it's quite a beautiful holistic way of looking at life. And But it's not always easy when you're in the throes of challenge, is it? And I know that you talk with people while they're in the process of going through things. Mm. What would be the greatest thing that you've learned through the work and the training you've done what is it? How do we as humans process the challenges in life? I think the greatest misconception is that 
you're the only one going through something like that. Um, certainly we're all going through a unique process, our own different challenges, but we're not alone in challenges. Everybody goes through challenges at some point in their life. And it's through these challenges that we really truly grow. So I think if life's really challenging you, it's important to know that that is not unusual. And in fact, that's sort of the cost of entry to living life. Um, And it's just about finding out what's in it for you, even when it's all, even if it's unfolding or unraveling to what you thought it was, it's like, what's it turning into? What's coming out of that? being a little bit more curious. Do you think then with that element of curiosity, do you think um, by allowing things to unfold, by trusting the process, by realising that your challenge is actually an opportunity for growth, how, if that's the case, how do we change our mindset when we're in the throes of that? Because that seems to be the biggest challenge of all. But most of us feel like life's at us or against us when we've got our back up against the floor or we're in the fetal position on the bathroom floor. Like truly, how do we change that mindset or is it impossible when you're in that space? That's right. It's a really good question. And um, for me, that really boils down to awareness. And the way that I see the work that I do with people um, sure, you're using hypnotherapy or NLP or tools or techniques or whatever, but it's really, in essence, bringing awareness to parts of you that you didn't you didn't know that you had or were there. It's about awareness, really. Awareness, I think, is the thing that enables you to transform, to see it for what it is or or what it isn't. As you know, I'm sure you know, which is a big basis of the NLP and NLP work. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool one, that one, what it is or what it isn't. And I guess what you're, you're heading to is the fact that everything that we go through doesn't matter what the situation is without undermining it, but it's our perception of that. It's our perception to what's going on. Talk to us about some of your clients then. Uh, maybe give us an example of how you've helped someone through a process like this. How have you helped them get from in the fetal position on their bathroom floor into creating a new awareness, a new belief, and actually seeing the light, for want of a better word? Mm. Well, I had a really powerful experience recently with a client, and um, basically they were just experiencing on an unconscious level, a debilitating amount of guilt for things in their life that they'd done, which they perceived to be terrible things. Um, or, and in this case, sort of could have put other people at risk and that sort of thing. So it was really a completely unconscious thing that was happening but it was causing that person's life to get really weird and for them to not have any true control over what they were able to do 
and not to feel in control of their life, to procrastinate a lot, to not be able to be present, um, you know, with an individual or with themselves. And I think that's a really key indicator a lot of the time. If you can't be present, something's going on in the background that's worth bringing awareness to. So this particular man um, had a lot of guilt about things that had happened either in childhood or, um, you know, later on in life. So things started going really well and then basically they made some decisions that caused that what was going well to unravel and sort of fall apart in a way and it made their life really hard and they were taking extreme ownership of that, which is incredibly honourable and um, really important and empowering in itself. But the guilt that they were carrying around in the background was debilitating them. It was causing them to judge themselves so harshly. And I think it was really a process of because they hadn't shared what they were guilty of or felt guilty of, um, it was like they were self-punishing. They were self-punishing because nobody else is going to do it because nobody else knows about it. So there was a, an unconscious belief in there that and a decision at one point that they needed to punish themselves for the thing that they'd done. Um, and they weren't aware of this at all. They, they basically compartmentalized this, this event, this one particular event stands out, but there was many events. Um, and they basically were shocked that they hadn't thought about that event in years, but that was the one event that had locked them up and started to make their life really take a strange turn and nothing was really working. It was sort of okay, but it wasn't great. And it wasn't that they could be present and it wasn't that they could um, feel strong or, you know, you wanted to go to the gym and it was a 15, 20 minute, half an hour, one hour procrastination, which led to self-doubt, exhaustion and negative self-talk to start the day. So, you know, um, we, we, we worked on all of these things in the initial breakthrough session and, um, you know, they came up out of nowhere, which is usually the case. And through hypnosis, we sort of, and conversation, we, we got perspective on things and let go of that guilt. And the result of that was totally profound in this individual's life. And, um, yeah, it, it was unbelievable. So uh, that's probably the one that comes to mind for me recently. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary work. And are you suggesting then that, um, you know, we, we, we're born into this world, we have these parents that are, you know, bluffing their way through getting it right and raising you the best that they can. And for some, we know that that's not the best, but realising it is the best that they could do in that time and that, in that moment, even though it may not have been that great. We then meander through life thinking that we've got it we don't necessarily pay attention to working on ourselves or working with ourselves. And then life creates experiences and then life happens. And then 
it sucks at times and then other times we're lucky. People will say, are you suggesting we have control of that or are you suggesting without awareness we don't have control? Well, the first thing I would say is it's not about having it all together. <laughs> so, And that's really important as well. But in terms of control, well, we have a certain amount of control over what we do. We have the choice to make decisions, but there's, as we know through NLP and lots of psychological studies and studies of the mind, 90% of our decisions and you know choices and our behavior, our actions are directed by the unconscious mind. So it's on an unconscious level that we are not, fully aware of we think we're aware of it we think we're in control of it rather so we are making conscious decisions during the day but what are those decisions based on i think is the more important thing what are we actually striving for why are we making those conscious decisions and if they're going wrong it's like why did i make that decision you consciously made it at the time or so you thought, but what was the unconscious process playing out behind that, which led you to be in that state where you made that decision? So I guess to simplify it, no, we don't have anywhere near as much control of what is happening in our life as we think, but we can do things to be a catalyst to shift things on an unconscious level so that it is working for us. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I'm sitting here watching the Olympics over these last few weeks or days and I've been watching it and every single person that's a gold medalist or anybody that's achieving or standing on that podium, most of them give kudos to their coach. Most of them turn to and have the emotional reaction with their coach it's funny because we put a top athlete out there and we would never think twice about them having a coach, having someone to push them beyond their boundaries, their, their comfort zone, their dreams, their beliefs, and help them to reach it at a higher level and also to get out of their own way. Yet we in life, do you think in the last, it's, it's only recent that we're starting to really appreciate the power of mentors, coaches, psychologists, therapists, what's your thoughts around how that's evolved? I mean, you're a young man, you're a young father. Do you think it's becoming something that we do need definitely in this day and age? I think it's really important to be able to have that awareness from outside of you and outside of your inner circle and outside of your your field outside of your life um, because the people who are close to us have got, you know, we're connected to them. We have our own judgments like our, our partner, our family, our close friends. They're fantastic to talk to about things and sometimes that's really powerful and sometimes not because the things that you need to talk about may trigger them personally. They take it personally. And then instead of being just about your process, it becomes about their process. And sometimes we can get 
caught up in that. So um, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, I've, I've read a little bit of stuff and listened to a lot of stuff about how there seems to be a little bit of a lack of eldership in our communities these days. And I think, let's say, going right back when it was more tribal and you had, you know, the elders to go to, they were almost like that coach that you could go to. And that was somebody who was able to hold that space and put their own stuff aside, somebody who had done the work and um, was able to see it for what it really was and bring awareness to what was going on for you and sort of touch the right points and give you the right perspective, mirror some stuff back to you. Um, you know, it's, it's really important to have that person to talk to and to process things and to, to also give you something new, I guess. And completely, I think, I guess thinking about it now is a really good question. Also introducing something completely new and the people around you that have been around you a long time and, um, you know, obviously your own, your own knowledge and your own self is all familiar and it's something that on a conscious and unconscious level, it's something that you know about. So you've already sort of been there. It's already been in your field. And when you go to a coach and they hold that space and they bring awareness in a way that it's outside of the field and it allows you to stretch your thinking and open your mind up to possibilities that you, you didn't consider that weren't in your field before. And do you think in this day and age there is not enough emphasis on our own personal growth and development? I mean, we go to school, we learn maths, we learn English, we learn social studies, geography, biology, whatever it is. There just doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot of focus on the things that really do get us through life, and that is money, in my humble opinion. Um, You might learn economics and accounting, but that's to me, it doesn't really get to the guts of understanding budgeting and goal setting and, and, and all of the things that can come with creating wealth. But there doesn't also seem to be a hell of a lot of focus on our mindset, our unconscious mind, our spirituality, our, our, our I guess, our, our innermost self. Do you think there's a fault there or do you think it's like that so that we as parents become greater in that area? What What's the answer? Yeah, I think um, our schools are, uh, to me, my perspective is that our schools are there to educate us, to enable us to be academic, to learn to read and write, to get a certain, I guess, perspective on the world and obviously to be able to do maths and all these types of things and practical skills but i think the parents are so so important in sort of i guess being the coach for their children and i think you know if you think about a school setting 30 kids to one teacher or something like that that's not exactly a scenario where you can very often have you know those kinds of conversations that are uniquely about what's going on for that person's process. So 
I think that needs to happen at home. I think um, the schools could certainly do more to bring awareness to and educate about what these concepts are. But in terms of providing uh, the actual support and facilitating transformation, I think it obviously starts in the individual and and the, the probably the most important people are the parents or the carers of that person that are there on that level of um, support and able to give that one-on-one time, hopefully. Um, and I, I really think that's an interesting question, something that I think might get skewed a little bit. And the other thing I want to say is that it's not always clear what, what's best for us as a person. There's not just one right and wrong way to raise somebody or support somebody or teach somebody. So, you know, and we grow so profoundly through challenge. And I guess school is a situation where you get taught a foundation and then you get to choose what you do with it. So, and everybody's going to do something different. They're going to take that same thing that they learned or process that they went through in that classroom. And those people are going to do completely different things and go through their own challenges and they're going to discover what that all means for them. And I think that's more important than the actual education. Yeah, I agree with you, actually. I found, I feel like teachers get a a hard rap a lot of the time where, you know, our kids go to school and then if something goes wrong, I feel for, for, for teachers, I feel that it really is a combined um, tribal mentality where it should be around the parents and the teachers. Now, some teachers do it really well and some parents do it really well. We're all human and we've all come into this world with a whole set of different circumstances, filters, beliefs, personalities, all of these different things. And sometimes those worlds collide and sometimes they fully expand. I know that there are teachers who have absolutely transformed a child's life and has been the reason why they've gone on to do what they've done. Mm. And I've also worked with people who a teacher has completely um, destroyed their perception or they've allowed them to destroy their perception of themselves. And the same could be said for parents, though, couldn't it? I mean, there's some parents that are extraordinary in many ways. Even if they stuff up, they still find a way to see a greater meaning and then there's parents that some people would suggest may not have really should maybe should not have been given that privilege to to be a parent. But either way, do you think then, I guess I'm going a little bit esoteric here, do you think we choose that? And therefore, if we do choose the pathway, is it therefore our choice to expand and grow and learn from that? Because some people, I think you'll agree, get hooked into, just like that gentleman you were talking about, get more hooked into the the guilt or the problem of it without even realising they're doing it. It's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, I mean, if you look at a lot of people who are extremely successful in life, there would be some things that were common between all of those people, perhaps. But in many cases, they came from, you know, the story where they came from nothing. And that's really common. It's the pressure and the the struggle that built them up 
they pushed against it. It's the resistance of that that forged them and, and gave them a power that was greater than they ever could have got without that. Um, and then you have, I guess, the other the other side of it where we somebody had an extremely unfavorable and you could call call it unlucky childhood and circumstances and it didn't work out and they lived a, a very difficult life um but the same could be said for people with wealth or people with a, a great family you know loving family sometimes their lives completely fall apart and you know sometimes they do extremely well as well so i don't i'm sort of I guess I err on <laughs> being a little bit vague, which sometimes can be um, can feel a little bit unclear. But I think every this is why I'm I'm so interested in everyone's unique process. It doesn't always it doesn't follow a set of rules, and nothing is really like that. We have our own process to go through. And I think perhaps where we get caught up is labeling that and comparing it and to what we think it should or shouldn't be or looking at another person and saying, well, they did this and that worked. So if I do that, that'll work. And I can't do that because of this. So that means I'm done. And instead of taking a, a deeper look inside of yourself and seeing like there's actually something there they can still be brought forward no matter what circumstance you're in. They say that we have all resources within us, all answers within us. How would you describe that to the person listening to this that may be in a world of pain and they're thinking, how the hell can I find the answer when I feel nothing but pain? How would you help someone navigate through that? Well, a lot of the time we... It's, it's not the information necessarily that we need. It's, it's getting out of our own way. So, um, for example, that client I was talking about before who had lived several years um, in, you know, I guess you could call it a struggle, um, basically struggling with that unconscious level of guilt. Once that guilt was lifted off of his shoulders, his life proceeded to immediately change in almost every single way. And to me, that means he didn't know what not to do. He didn't not know what to do. Sorry. He, he knew what to do. He knew what he needed to do, but there was something stopping him from doing that. There was something invisible, an invisible wall where the things that he knew he was capable of and really truly wanted to do couldn't happen because he couldn't get out of his own way. There was something locking him up, something in the way, something invisible, but nevertheless, it was there. It was, it was, it was him getting in the way of himself. So we are going through a lot of thought processes every day. Um, you know, we're very aware of what our problems are. We're constantly unconsciously and consciously calculating what will get us out of that scenario. 
most of the time we know because if we, and especially if we've been in it for a while, we're unconsciously processing and creating resolutions to our problems. But the problem is in executing them and whether we can produce the energy or um, allow that energy to come through and allow those resources to be accessed. It's about the state that you're in. And um, I think letting go of negative emotions from the past, um, guilt, shame, fear, all these things are so heavy that they just weigh you down. Um, and it's not that you don't know what to do or you don't know where to start to actually change. It's just that that process is being blocked by emotion and your state a lot of the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge one. And I love that saying when emotions are high, intelligence is low. And it's very hard to make decisions when we're feeling so emotional or volatile or feeling any of those emotions. I was at a launch yesterday of Portraits of Mankind. My husband, I'm very proud that is a part of that. And it's about men speaking out about the importance of talking and to let it out, not tough it out. And it's time that men really started to stop this Aussie kind of culture. And I'd say it's probably in New Zealand or any country, this culture of, you know, take a can, harden up or, you know, drink some cement, you know, toughen up kind of process. It's, do you think we're as a nation, as a, as a culture, we're starting to allow men in particular to be more vulnerable? And do you think it's vulnerability that's the key for us opening these hearts and allowing us to get out of our own way. Yeah. I think in a way it is, it's um, not being afraid to bring out who you really want to be and what you really need to share because we're scared of judgment, you know, and a lot of times we are going to be judged by other people and we take that extremely personal. It's not exactly about us. It's more about that, that other person and, you know, they're um, projecting their own judgments onto you. But I think a lot of the time it's fear of judgment and it's probably links back to what we were just talking about in that that locks us up and it stops us from being or acting truly how we want to be. And yeah, holding on to things, um, bottling them up, not allowing yourself to express how you truly feel, how you have been suffering or how you are not suffering in, in, in some circumstances could, you know, if, if your people around you are suffering, sometimes you'll suppress the fact that you're not and you're actually quite happy because you don't want to affect them. Um, or be judged by them or or make them feel bad about themselves. So I think one thing's for sure is that when we suppress things, whether they're good or bad, shit starts to get really weird for us. 
<laughs> it's so true. No, I hear you. I, I'm curious then around this, you've brought up something quite interesting because often we talk about the negative emotions in life. One, I've got two questions for you. One is, um, do you feel like we as humans are trying to chase this all elusive thing called happiness and we're not acknowledging that struggle and fear and guilt and anger and shame and conflict, all of these things actually have a part to play? And secondly, if that's the case, how on earth do we allow ourselves the, and pleasure is not the right word, but the pleasure of the pain, if you know what I mean, like to actually realize part of the process of happiness is understanding the opposite of that. How do we bring that about in our world? Yeah, that's a good question. I watched the movie recently um, again, because I was called to it, not sure why, but in pursuit of happiness. And um, it's in pursuit of happiness. It's not, the movie's inspiring because he's in pursuit of happiness. And it's the things that he's doing in that process that's inspiring. It's not the happiness just at the end. It's the whole thing. It's the whole process. Don't get caught up on, just wanting that goodie because if you only feel fulfilled when you're happy, you're restricting your ability to feel fulfilled. I think it's something that's probably a little bit difficult to actually put to words, but just not marginalizing and not judging yourself for whatever the state that you're in or whatever point you're at, seeing it as a part of your process, not as a destination to get to happiness, but happiness is going to be in there. It's in there for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. There's been moments of happiness. All the other things are just as important. And I think absolutely, like you said, we don't understand true happiness when we don't know what true sadness is. It's, it's the polarization that gives it the power. So, and I think, you know, gratitude being one of the most powerful emotions that we have is an example of that where if our life, if things aren't going well for a long time, or if, if you, if you would label it that, but, let's say you've been in a struggle, if your process has been one setback after another and it hasn't been particularly comfortable, if something fantastic happens to you, you're filled with gratitude and the gratitude is proportionate to the struggle that you've been through. So the greater your struggle, the greater happiness and the greater positive emotion that is on the other side of that. Yeah, I really like that. It's almost like the polar opposites. You can't have power or energy without a positive and a negative force. And I think it gets underplayed 
actually this pursuit of happiness, this desire to be happy all the time, it gets underplayed the power that the other emotions play. I mean, anger holds a place. Mm. I know when my children went to run onto a four-lane highway, my angry voice and scream was enough that it actually saved their life. And I was really cross with them because I told them, you know, to stay close to me. And I feel, yes, it saved their life. And and it's okay to feel sad when we Mm. see things going on around our world right now. There's a lot of people feeling very sad. There's a lot of times where we know conflict is a great opportunity to ask which part of us or what is the greater, bigger picture of this? What is the intention of both parts in order to have why we got this conflict? To me, what through my learnings, and and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, but in all honesty, to live a true human experience is to feel all of these things. Would that be fair to you? Yeah, I think that's your right. I think it's your right to feel all of those things as a human. It's your, um, it's your gift. It's the reason you are human. It's, it, it would be a shame to rob you of any of that. Life is, you know, um, powerful because of all of those things. And if you watch a movie and, you know, you buy into the drama you buy into it not just to see a whole heap of happiness the whole time and sunshine and people frolicking and, you know, things just going well. If the whole movie was just that, we wouldn't watch it. It would be boring and it would be dull in a way. It would be mundane we buy into it because, and we want to see it because we want to feel the variety of emotions. We want to feel the spectrum. We want to be taken in to the pain and the suffering and experience the other side of that after it. And I think the big key in movies, if I can be so bold is, is that we, it's not that we may enjoy those, those other emotions or the hardship But for me personally, what I love is watching the resurrection, the the powering through it, the what they've done to get through those challenges, how they've stood up against the test of time. The most inspirational part is the way they rise again, in my humble opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And there wouldn't be so much power in that if they hadn't been through the struggle or had the setbacks. Yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes we underestimate that we ourselves are probably living, for want of a better word, a drama and a life and a movie that really if other other people looked in on it, you know, I've heard many times we've gone to say, you wouldn't actually read about this or some people's Mm -hmm. lives, you go, you couldn't write a movie about it because the truth is so stranger than fiction. And and then you watch movies and you realise a lot of them are based on some sort of life experience or thing that's happened, which can be a bit frightening sometimes. I want to go back to the subject of men and men's mental health. Um, Have you found that in your experience, are you seeing more men than women? Is there a statistic in your opinion? Is there a reason why suicide, I mean, it used to be six out of eight men in Australia would take their life. 
now it's uh, the statistics are showing there's nine to 10 people a day taking their life, but it's still more men here on the Sunshine Coast, four out of five people who take their life are men. Mm. Have you noticed something around that? And if so, what is your reasoning or thoughts around this? Yeah, good question. I think I definitely do work with a lot of men uh, and I um, am passionate about that as well as well as working with people in relationships. Um, I think for men, and you touched on earlier about the Aussie culture, you know, suck it up and there's a very strong tall poppy syndrome as well. Um, but we're not big talkers a lot of the time and we're not as social in general. We're not as sociable women tend to get together with their friends and talk a lot more, which may not be as good as having a coach or a therapy session, but at least it's bringing awareness to things a little bit more regularly. So it's bringing awareness to them so that they can start to process them and maybe change things or, um, you know, choose a path that will allow them to change things before it gets too bad. Whereas I find a lot of the time with men, they don't talk about that stuff a lot and they don't actually socialize as much. And when they do catch up with friends, a lot of the time, you know, you might be kicking the footy or playing a sport or you might be, you know, um, hiking or running or training or, you know, men's activities and bonding doesn't always incorporate a lot of conversation. You can sort of still have a good mate and um, be supporting each other, but not talking as much. And I think that's probably more common. And I think there's also a lot more shame around, um, men having mental health issues and admitting it because they want to be the strong man and they want to be the, um, the presence in the house and they want to, uh, they don't want anybody to doubt their strength and they don't want to doubt it in themselves. Um, and so they suppress it a lot. They don't, they, they suppress things to the point where, instead of becoming aware of it in a slow process, all of a sudden they're debilitated and they are shutting down and everything falls apart really quickly because they haven't acknowledged it. They haven't had the awareness to what was going on and they haven't allowed themselves to, they haven't done the work on themselves. And and really, I think just awareness, they, they just don't really know until it basically drops on top of them like a dump truck, emptying its load on top of them. And it's so overwhelming and so much emotion that I guess that's when it becomes too much. And that's probably, it, you know, it could be one of the reasons why the suicide rates for men are up because there's not as many signals along the way. We hold a lot more in. Um, we 
internalize it. And when it does fall apart, it tends to be, in my opinion, much stronger and much more substantial. It's kind of breaks my heart as a woman, you know. I heard a couple one of the questions asked to the panel of men yesterday was what can us women do to help you more or what can we do to be more? And they actually all agreed that it's often not the woman at all, that they are probably doing all the right things. They are asking the right questions. Right. It actually comes back to them willing to do something about it, admit it, or get the help that they need. Is that what you think so too? Yeah, I do think so. And um, I also think it's a really difficult position to be in because um, it's sort of a conflict as well for the woman who's watching her husband or partner struggle is that they also want them to be strong and they're not. And so that that's difficult for them too. But I think not being afraid to bring awareness to the man um, don't just sort of, I think letting them be and letting them figure it out on their own, they might, they are likely to do it. A lot of men will, but personally, I don't think it hurts to let them know, look, I've noticed that you're struggling. It's okay. I'm here for you. You know, I don't want to see you like this. I love you. I want to help you through this. Um, I'm not judging you. I, you know, I'm here. I'm here for you. I support you. Um, I think approaching it, you know, sometimes it's hard to approach it in exactly the way you want to, but if you can approach it in a way that's actually a little bit gentle and, um, coming from a place of love and that your intention is to see them really come back into their power. Cause most of the time they've, they started off and they were strong and everything was going well. And there was some, there was a point where they started to lose that. They started to lose themselves. And, um, eventually they're at a point where they really are, the opposite of in their power. So it's, it's not a process of judging them for who they are or aren't. It's, it's bringing awareness and saying, I'm here for you. I've noticed this. That's okay. I get it. Um, you know, whatever's going on for them. I, I know your job's extremely difficult. I know this and that. Um, I know that you probably don't want to hear this as well, but I really think you should consider, you know, reaching out. And if, if you know somebody who's in that field or if you have a, um, you know, a contact or something like that, that's, that's obviously brilliant. But if you don't, just encouraging them to, you know, consider it and bring awareness to the fact that that's an option for them. Yeah, I think listening to you, it's one of the reasons why I created the self-love podcast and wanted to continue after eight years of podcasting with my other beautiful friends, Cindy and Karen. But why I wanted to really bring attention to the word self-love 
is because it's kind of looked upon and scoffed upon and a little bit, you know, laughed at or looked at as, and for want of a better word, negative. You know, people think if you love yourself, you're up yourself. I mean, that's how we sort of thought about it at school. Whereas to me, it's the one thing, it's the foundation for all things. And I guess for me, the awareness of having guests like you on the show is that one woman or one man or one father or or one beautiful sister or brother is listening to this and they hear you and they know that you'd be just the right person for their partner or their friend or their their lover or their their husband or whatever, that you are the exact right person for them. And I really do pray that this continues to grow, that podcasts like this help to shine the light in a gentle but very encouraging way. And if that's the case and and you and I have both known each other for a while now. Do you agree with me that self-love is the foundation? And if so, could you give me your definition of self-love? Yeah, I think um, I think it is a foundation, absolutely. And I think, well, to me, self-love is about acceptance. It's about accepting who you are. Um accepting what's happened to you, what your process has been, not marginalizing it, not, not judging yourself, but just saying, hey, this is it. This is who I am. This is in this moment who I am at least. And we're always evolving, but accepting where you're at, accepting what you've done or haven't done, acknowledging that you're flawed in some areas. We all are. And that you'll probably never fully have it together, but you can enjoy the process along the way. Allow yourself to be present in moments where you can get something out of it. There's, there's more in it for you than you think. Life isn't about getting it all right. It's an experience. So about, it's really about acceptance for me, self-love. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I so love everything about you. We, we have so much fun in all the learnings that we've done. And, and even though this has been quite a serious topic and a serious conversation, I just want yeah. the listener to know that you're incredibly naughty and cheeky and very <laughs> funny as well. And, and I was just wondering, I mean, like my thoughts are this too, this too, is that this too shall pass. No matter what yeah. we're going through, the highs, the lows. I've said this a number of times at my talks. You know, for those of you going through a really tough time, I just I have one piece of advice, this too shall pass. And those of you in a really great place in your life, I've got some advice for you, this too shall pass. It is a life of ebb and flow, highs and lows, ins and outs, melancholiness, and then we have beautiful high energy moments. And I guess it's just the realm, the tapestry, the whole part of what it is to be human. And I have to say to you, Chris, that one of the biggest parts of being human and one of the greatest privileges I personally have is being a mom. And I just want to ask you, I know we're coming to the end of our podcast in a few moments, but I just want to check in with you about your role as a father. 
how, tell us how old all your kids are. Tell us a little bit about your relationship and how you guys have navigated through the, the whole role of parenting and still kept it together and, yes. and also what, what it means to you to be a dad. Yeah, cool. So uh, my daughter is one and then I've got a boy, Taylor. He's three. Um, Kendra, she's five. I have to think about this sometimes. Finn, he's eight, and Hunter's 10. So I've got five, and the first three children that I had were with my ex-partner. So I have them half of the time. So I have one week of a full, full house, and then they go back to their mums for the other week. And that's a really, um, you know, it's a good arrangement. Um, That relationship obviously didn't didn't work out it 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 ended um about i think about five years ago but you know we've worked that out and and the whole time since we've separated we've always been 50 50 care and um we've always you know talked about things and um we've we've got along basically so it's it's not the scenario that you'd probably write in a book but it's it's incredible i wouldn't change it um being a father to me is extremely rewarding like and the things that you learn from your kids is incredible like you know from one two years old seeing them light up about you know the old joke about you you give them a 300 dollar present and they throw it aside and play with the box it's really true like they don't care they can teach us so much about what it is to be in the moment and actually um make something out of nothing and just seeing their faces and their raw emotion and i just yeah i honestly love them so much and um I would never change being a father. I think it's one of the greatest things that's happened to me. And, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say. It's just, it, it's amazing. I, love mm, it. I agree. And through all of that, there's exhaustion, nappies, vomit, <laughs> no sleep. Um, yeah. You know, there's all of those things. I it's know. Really funny because that stuff doesn't stand out. And I'm not, I'm not really like, you wouldn't, I, I wouldn't call myself an optimistic person. Like I'm a realistic person, but you know, <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's, I guess I've done a lot of work. So <laughs> I was going to say, from that lens, but. yeah, I was going to say that to you though. And, and it's a really good point that for a lot of people that get into the, you know, the throes of parenting and all those years and the nappies and the sleepless nights and the challenges and the sick and the vomit and all of the things that happened. Um, You could choose to look at parenting in that light, that it's bloody hard work, there's no thanks, there's, you know, it's all of that. But the people, the parents that I see have the most close relationships with their children and the parents that seem to really enjoy the process are those that 
that see it as a privilege, that truly do understand that the highs totally outweigh the lows and that it comes back to what you just said, the lens that you have, the work that you do on yourself. And it comes full circle back to what we were saying before about teachers and parents that the roles that we as parents play are so massive. You can grow up with a parent that told you you were a bloody idiot all your life and you can believe it. Well, you can grow up with a parent that said you have everything going for you. You're amazing and you've got a world of opportunity and you'll believe it. So again, it comes back to if your story has been one of a negative upbringing and and sadness, whilst I truly do and I do not want to undermine it, I do believe as we grow older, we have the power to actually use that as a platform for greater gain, greater, greater greatness of self. So if you were to advise your children, if you were to, what, what are the, what's Chris's life rules or life, what, what, what are the things that you would say to not only your children, but to the self-love podcast listener on how to live a great life? What are they? Um, know yourself, understand yourself, but don't take it too seriously either. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a big thing. You know, like changing nappies, like a stinky nappy is a funny thing in my house. Like, I mean, like I changed nappies this morning. It, I make a joke out of it with my daughter. Like, and like, that's just a little thing. But when things aren't happening the way that you think they should have or they should be or they don't seem desirable in that moment, Sometimes that's actually quite funny and (laughs) taking it a little bit less seriously, I think is something that we could all take on a little bit more. I I so love that. And I think after all the things and the programs and the development work that we've done with our beautiful group, that's the one thing I've taken away from you. Given the, my last question for you though, is given the context of the world right now and so much challenge and difference of opinion and all sorts of things happening, the father of young children, how are you supporting them to go through this? Or more importantly, how are you supporting yourself and your partner through this in order to live the greatest self? Yeah. Um, For me, I'm a very involved um, father, I would say. Like, um, I don't work weekends. Um, I basically stick to getting home by five o'clock every day um, at the latest. And I think just being there is huge. Being there, being around them, being an example, embodying the things that you want to see in them and letting them see that, letting them watch it play out because we mirror things, we match them. I think it's so precious and it's such a great reminder that mirroring, knowing that our kids are our greatest, we are their greatest role models and what they see and how they watch us navigate through. It's all good and well when life is great, but I think the greatest learnings is when they're really watching you get through something tough And I think that's where we become so mindful of our own abilities and maybe lack of abilities to handle situations. But more importantly, like you said at the very beginning, it's about getting to know yourself, accept yourself and having that awareness of self. 
Is there one final message that you would love to give to the Self-Love Podcast listener? And could you also finish with your most favourite quote at the moment? My message to people out there would be not to take life too seriously. I think we can all take life a little bit too seriously sometimes and um, there's some serious parts of it, but we take it a little bit more personally and we take it a little bit too serious. See the lightness in the times when it's dark. Don't be afraid to laugh at yourself when you completely screw it up because there's going to be another day, there's going to be another opportunity, there's going to be tomorrow. So it sounds simple, it sounds maybe a bit corny, but it's true. Don't get taken out by making a mistake and thinking that's it. Look forward, follow, find what you can take out of that thing and move forward and see what else is in it for you. See what's unfolding for you already in your life. And my favourite quote is from Eckhart Tolle and it is, life isn't as serious as the mind makes it out to be. And I think that sort of just resonates with what I've just said really, but, um, you know, take what you want out of it, but don't take it too seriously. Try and enjoy it a little bit more. Love it. Thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute delight to have you on the show. If someone did want to reach out to you to get coaching or to follow you, could you just tell us your social media handles if that's okay? Yeah. So envision underscore coaching. So envision underscore coaching on Instagram. That's probably the best place to find me. Perfect. And I'll put any other links in the show notes. Chris, thank you so, so much for being a part of this podcast. Your message is huge. And after hearing the struggle of a lot of men and couples out there, I couldn't think of anyone better to help coach, mentor and help them to navigate their way through. Thank you for being in my life and for always making me smile. Thank you (laughs) for being a huge part of the world of people who do want to make a difference and support people to get through their challenges. And thank you for being such an extraordinary partner and role model to your children. It's been a pleasure to have you on the Self-Love Podcast. Thank you, Kim. I've I've loved it. So thank you. I love you. And um, yeah, take it easy. Thanks for listening to the Self-Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.